This episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about immigration and immigration policies. And if this is a topic that is really interesting to you, I have another podcast that I think you would like. Open Belly is a podcast that shares the stories of immigrant and refugee chefs who are transforming American food culture. The podcast was created by Danielle Lehman, who wanted to shine a spotlight on the immigrant-owned businesses in her community of Kansas City. Now, Open Belly is on the road, sharing stories of chefs across the U.S., like the 11 chefs featured in Season 2 who call New York City home. In each episode, you'll hear stories of determination, resilience, hope, and the pursuit of the American dream. You can find the Open Belly podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out. If, if the conversation is, you know, kind of a crackdown on the border, or if we remove that workforce, who's going to do it? And we'll all be paying for a burger that costs $30, you know? This is Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurant kitchens. I'm Katie Osuna. Every year, the National Restaurant Association publishes this State of the Restaurant Industry report. It provides an overview of what the business outlook for the entire industry is, both the good and the bad. Falling squarely in the bad category, the 2019 report found that staffing is the top challenge that restaurant owners face. The prolonged economic expansion has led to a tighter labor market for business in many industries, but the restaurant industry also continues to be impacted by longer-term structural changes in the labor force. As a result, recruiting and retaining employees will be among the top challenges faced by restaurant operators in 2019. If you're feeling a little lost trying to figure out what that report jargon means, you're not alone. I was too. And as I researched to try and figure out these long-term structural changes in the labor force, I was lucky to come across someone who does understand it and was willing to talk to me about it. Sorry if I kept you waiting. I didn't realize there was a, a call-in on the, on the calendar invite. This is David. Great. So I'm David Yaffe Bellany, and I cover the food industry for The New York Times. A reporter from The New York Times Business Desk, David covers the food and retail industry and has written about a lot of different topics. The rise of plant-based meat, the recent sexual harassment lawsuit brought against McDonald's, and the economic challenges that the restaurant industry faces. Those challenges include the effects of food delivery apps on restaurants, which we're going to talk about more in our next episode. And then the other that kept coming up was the labor shortage, the idea that unemployment was so low that there were kitchens that were unable to hire enough people to, to do all the jobs that needed to be done. In 2018, the National Restaurant Association estimated that over the next 10 years, the restaurant industry would create 1.6 million new jobs. But they also predicted that the population we are dependent upon to fill those jobs historically is going to decline by 1.3 million. That population means young people, high school and college-age folks. So how do restaurants fill that massive staffing gap? It's certainly been, you know, the worst kept secret in the restaurant industry for decades that 
many restaurant employees are undocumented. And, you know, there's been a kind of don't ask, don't tell sort of policy around this, I think. And it's been convenient for everybody involved because it means, you know, work for employees who might have a hard time finding work in other industries. And it means a a labor source and, you know, often a really hardworking and reliable labor source uh, for, for restaurant owners who are, you know, struggling to staff their kitchens. Because of the really delicate nature of the subject, there is not a lot of public conversation on how chefs and owners navigate this topic. Even though for many restaurant owners, hiring immigrant workers is often the only solution to their own labor shortage challenges, wherever they are. There's a serious drought for good workers in LA. I feel it all the time. While researching this episode, I came across an article that was very surprising to me. It was on LATaco.com, and it told the story of a Los Angeles chef who had personally put a ton on the line to be there for one of her undocumented employees. I wanted to hear more of her story, so I reached out to ask the chef if she'd be willing to sit down with us. She was a little hesitant to go on the record at first. Did you want to remain, remain anonymous for this, or do you, would you rather? Yeah, I, I just don't want anything like, well, it's completely up to you. I, you can go either yeah. Way think about it. I was thinking about it all day yeah let's yeah let me kind of think about it because it's like the actual risks what are the actual risks you know what I mean mm-hmm. so we can maybe talk about that <laughs> so um you know it's like um being bold or being stupid I don't know which one it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. ultimately she decided somebody needs to tell the story and, and like we can't just we can't be scared you know to stand up for for each other. Yeah. See see what happens. <laughs> for real. Like, I mean, what are the real consequences? I don't know. Don't really care. This is Teresa. My name is Teresa Montano, and I'm the chef owner of Otonio in Highland Park, Los Angeles. Our editor Rachel and I took a road trip down to LA to sit with Chef Teresa and have a conversation about her personal experience navigating what the National Restaurant Association called the longer-term structural changes in the labor force, and how recent immigration policies are affecting her and her team. And things have been pretty scary. There's a serious drought for good workers in LA. I feel it all the time. If I have someone I'm really excited about, I I try to commit as much resource and attention to their growth and development and happiness and comfort at the restaurant so that they stay with us because it's so hard to find good people. It really is. Teresa has opened two different restaurants in LA, and staffing has, of course, been a huge challenge. Team building is one of my passions. I really am as passionate about that as as cooking and food. I think, I, I mean, I can be the best chef in the world if I can't teach people how to do it the way I do it and inspire them and them show up every day, then I'm not really the best chef in the world. Opening her first restaurant was really hard. She was relatively young and inexperienced. I was 30 when I opened my first restaurant. I was just a baby. And some of the team she hired was inexperienced as well. At my first restaurant, I was having a hard time looking for a dishwasher. And we were like in our first couple months and I had this this dude and he was just like, oh yeah, I've done dishes before. And he was really terrible at it. And I just, you know, I had to let him go. In walks this this guy. We could call him Dave. Didn't speak a, a lick of English and was just like, 
looking for work. You know, I spoke enough Spanish and we had a conversation. He also came with his buddy and they were like a package deal and he's a dishwasher. And I was like, yep, I need you right now. Like, let's go. You're hired. I brought him in and it was a dream come true because he just knew how to do it. We're going to keep Dave's real name anonymous for reasons you're going to understand here in a little bit. He started as a dishwasher and now on Garmage and he's just, he's, he's a good cook and he's from El Salvador. You know, stubborn old man, maybe, you know, he was at that time in his early 50s. You know, I'd be like, I need you to come do extra deep cleaning or I need the toilets clogged. I don't know how to fix it. Like he was my guy that would just jump in and do that. You know, it was pretty funny because a lot of these guys worked for me and they worked doubles and they would come in in between lunch and dinner service, turn off all the lights in the dining room and they'd just kind of line up and sleep on the banquette. <laughs> and I'd, I'd walk over and um, maybe I'd come wake up, guys. It's, it's time. we got to get in the kitchen now, um, make them coffee and, you know, and then get, get ready for dinner. This is honestly incredibly typical in the industry. Dishwashers, prep cooks, line cooks, usually immigrants, are working multiple jobs to make enough money for their families, whether they're here or back home. And Dave was one of them. And he told me, he's like, I'm working seven days a week, doubles. Eventually, it was pretty bad. He was working himself to death. And I was like, you know, what's going on? Why are you working so much? And he said, I'm trying to bring my son over. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I knew what that meant. It meant the hard way. It meant he was dealing with people that are not safe to deal with. Maybe a week later, he was on his break and we had kind of like a little back dry storage area. And I went back there and he was like, they need more money. And I'm not sure if he's going to get here. And I was like, okay. And he was like... I need $5,000. You know, with my broken Spanish, I told him, okay, give me a couple days. And I was able to show up with, you know, the money. And and then he told me, you know, I'll pay you in three months. So it was kind of like the conversation in your head over those couple days, like, well, shit, should I do it? There was no doubt. There was, I never hesitated. I He asked me and I said, yes, absolutely. Because I saw him suffering. Like, he was... So he worked himself sick and literally falling asleep on his feet. And I was just like, oh, my God, like we have I have to do what I can. And it none of, you know, nothing in my mind was like, well, you know, this is dangerous. This is illegal. No, this is a person who's asking for help. I, I couldn't tell him no. Yeah. I knew what it took for him to even ask me for help, so. Have you all had any conversations since then about any of it? I think it's just like this unspoken kind of knowing, and and so I don't think we need to really say anything. Um, there, you know, he, Dave just has this set of, like, values, you know, and he just loyalty and and hard work and that's something I just we just get in each other so it's just a mutual respect six weeks or so passed and then he um his son was there in my restaurant (laughs) it was kind of awesome like I burst into tears and then I had to come back in and be like you know (laughs) chef face um and he was like do you have work for him I was like 
Of course I have work for him. Of course I do. We'll find a place for him. Those guys have been with me ever since. I asked Teresa about Dave's son, what this young guy who was suddenly in her restaurant was like. <laughs> He's a pain in the ass. <laughs> he could be a little bit lazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. His son's like, he's creative and he's a musician and he's an artist. He doesn't want to wash dishes. He doesn't want to bust tables. When he's when he showed up, he was 18 years old, and you know that's not the kind of work he wants to do. But you know his father's like this is kind of what we do. He he met a, a girl at one of the other restaurants where he works, and it's like super cute. And they're gonna get married, and you know it's just like I love it. Yeah, seeing him kind of grow, and he's a good kid. He's a really good kid. And he, so he works hard and tries his best. And so sometimes I want to tell him, you know, like, you know what I did to help your father and now you, you ungrateful little shit. But I don't think he knows what, you know, how many people sacrificed for him to be here. And I, I don't really want him to know. Something that she learned from Dave and a lot of her team is that a lot of her success was because of these team members that were immigrants. Probably about 50% are from immigrant families, first generation, or just got here. <laughs> At least half. I think it's every kitchen in LA. I, I never been in a kitchen that doesn't have that represented at all. So many of those guys are so solid and they bring this level of work ethic and loyalty and if you're good to them, they treat you like family and that's what I've learned from them. The entire workforce um, comes from from somewhere else and, and we rely on that workforce so heavily. They're willing to do those hours, they're willing to do it for the pay and they're willing to, to show up every day and, and work two of those jobs just to make ends meet. And we can't replace that workforce with with citizens here. I, we just can't. I mean, and we're, we're already being squeezed from so many sides with minimum wage going up and up and up and, you know, real estate going up and up and up. It's just, you know, the margins are getting thinner and thinner and to find cooks and people that you can afford. Everyone's feeling it. Teresa's immediate reaction was to give both Dave and his son jobs, and that on-the-spot hiring is something that has been necessary in the restaurant industry, with all those no-call, no-shows, and low retention. But this kind of hiring is becoming harder and harder for chefs and managers in recent years. In March of 2019, a policy that has been discontinued for over a decade came back. And a batch of letters was sent out to chefs and restaurant owners across the U.S. These letters are scaring a lot of people. And after the break, we explore what these letters are and how people are reacting to them. In the spring of 2019, I helped open a few different restaurants within the span of a couple months. You know, the usual process of recipe testing, ordering, frantically working with contractors to get the kitchen built out, and then the dreaded hiring process. We were always up against deadlines and understaffed, and I didn't know how we were going to pull it off. Paired is how we pulled it off. Paired is an app where you, as a kitchen manager or chef, post shifts that you need people for, and Paired fills those shifts with vetted, qualified restaurant professionals. They match people with similar experiences or backgrounds to make sure you get someone who can handle the work you need done. At one of the restaurants I helped open, we were using three Paired pros a night to help us get through opening, and many of them were so great we ended up hiring them full-time. 
prepared is a great tool to give you peace of mind, whether for a, my dishwasher just called out Friday night, or a weekly shift you've had a hard time hiring for. I would highly recommend giving it a try. To get started with Paired and save 30% off your first shift, visit Paired.com copper or use the offer code copper during booking. That's P-A-R-E-D.com copper. Chef Teresa was at her first restaurant, Racion, for five years. And then, unexpectedly, she had to leave. When I left my restaurant, it wasn't on the best terms. My business partner was my partner, and we broke up, and it was kind of an ugly thing. She wouldn't leave, and I wouldn't leave, and finally I, I decided to go, and so I didn't want to go. They knew it was really hard on me, personally, that I was letting go of a lot, and it was a big loss for me. So um, I, I think they felt pretty sad about that on my behalf, which was, you know, they care about me, which is nice. Last year, 2018, she opened Otonio and had to go through the same hiring process. But this time, she was fortunate to already have the relationships built with a bunch of people, and a lot of her old team followed her. I'm really lucky because when I opened Otonio, I I had about eight or nine return employees from my previous restaurant. And that was everything because we just had that shorthand and we could, we just picked up where we left off and they know, they know me, they know my style. And uh, I'd say 95% of them are still with me after our first year. A couple of them I specifically targeted because I was like, I have to have you back. Um, and so, you know, I'd meet them for a drink or coffee and show them the space, walk them through the construction site and be like, this is the, this is the vision. This is the, the thing, you know, and a lot of them didn't really hesitate. They're like, count me in. Once, you know, a handful of them were signed on, it didn't take much for the arrest to kind of come with them. So when they kind of, when I rallied them and they returned and they were with me again, it was pretty profound. It's pretty awesome. Um, and I, I, I'm mindful of that every day because it was just like, we get to do this again. We get to be together again. And, and um, you know, I, I'm, I think about that all the time. I'm just like, man, my team, and they're with me, and they're just like so loyal, and they want to be there with me, and it's pretty cool, pretty lucky. Less than a year after Otonia opened, some letters hit the restaurant world and caused a lot of fear and anxiety. These letters were from the Social Security Administration, and they're called no-match letters. It's no secret that under the Trump administration, border crackdown is affecting the restaurant industry and the people that work in it. And it's not just in L.A. or a California thing. It's across the U.S. These no-match letters were a little confusing to me. Luckily, I had met someone who could help me. Remember David? David Yaffe Bellany, The New York Times. A no-match letter is essentially a document sent by the Social Security Administration to a business owner. Could be a restaurant owner, could be the owner of any other kind of business, that says certain of your employees have listed social security numbers that don't match our records. There are all kinds of sort of administrative discrepancies that could explain why that's the case. 
basically these, these no match letters were sent out under Bush, um, but there was always pushback because it basically became a way of alerting restaurants and other businesses in a sort of unofficial way that their employees were undocumented. And so there was pushback from you know advocates for undocumented immigrants and, and, and those sorts of people. And the policy was discontinued under Obama. But under Trump, it's been revived. And in March and April of this year, a huge batch of no-match letters was sent to businesses all over the country, including a lot of restaurants. Even though... They're not officially tied to any kind of immigration enforcement. What they effectively do is require business owners to determine whether their employees are undocumented. You're supposed to meet with the employees who are listed in the letter and tell them that there's this discrepancy in the records and ask them to fix it. These no-match letters were a big scare to restaurant owners, and many didn't really know how to react. And so that's put restaurant owners in a really awkward situation. They can either fire the workers who they've determined to be undocumented through this no-match process, and then they're going to be short huge numbers of staff and have to kind of navigate that challenge. Or they can keep workers who they now know or have some kind of reasonable obligation to figure out whether they're undocumented, and that makes them vulnerable in the event of an ICE audit. They could essentially be shown to have had what's called constructive knowledge of an employee's status, which would make them liable to heavy fines and even criminal prosecution in the event of an audit. So it's really a no-win situation for these business owners. It's an incredibly hard and compromising position for business owners to be in. And though the quote-unquote easy answer would be to just fire all the people who have these social security numbers— It's just not a plausible situation in the current labor climate. The most extreme impact, which probably isn't going to happen, obviously, would be for every restaurant that received a no-match letter to fire workers that they've determined are undocumented. And that would essentially cripple the restaurant industry. Like, you would have restaurants going out of business. It would be a complete disaster. And that's obviously not going to happen because lots of restaurant owners have made the calculation that it's essentially worth the risk of an ICE audit. I think for now what we're going to see is a lot of restaurant owners just kind of continuing to do what they've been doing, but just feeling way more anxious about it. There's already some sirens going off and, you know, people are getting letters to get new social security cards. And 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 I think there's a lot of, of that going around and a lot of everyone kind of being like, well, what do I do and how do we protect them and can we protect them? You know, and I think it... I think those that big kind of scare is going to cause good people to break the law. And I think that that's unfortunate. We don't know what this means for restaurants or if there will be another batch of no-match letters sent out. But restaurant people are just trying to make do with what they have. I, I mean, I've heard from another restaurant owner, a friend, that also received that letter. And he asked them to go get a new number, which... You know, it's kind of like you can go down to MacArthur Park and get a social security number and some churros and, you know, <laughs> uh, some new socks. I don't know. It's just like that's what that's what happened in that situation. It's like, all right, go fix this. I, I'm not going to, you know. Super tricky. Super duper tricky. Because then, I mean, yeah. <laughs> We're totally compromised. 
All we can do, I guess, is arm ourselves with the knowledge of what to do and how to protect them and what are our rights within trying to stay within the law. And obviously I, I, I want to stay within the law and do what's right as a, as a citizen, but I've seen the other side of it. So it's a tough one, tough call. I'm sure it's gonna, a, lot, a lot of people are gonna feel that. Like, what do I do? Our editor, Rachel, was with me during the interview, and she asked Chef Teresa this question. Does everything that's happening right now change, or has it affected the way you approach your leadership role? I'm operating the same way, because I feel like I don't want to be scared out of doing what I think is right. And if if someone is a good worker, I'm going to hire them. You know? It's like, if you have a number, you have an ID, and... I have all I can submit all my paperwork. Let's just do this thing. You know, I don't know. That's how I've always operated. That's how obviously I want to do my best on both ends, but you know, it's so hard to find and keep good workers. So the immigrant workforce is layered into our everyday lives and it's truly a part of what we're built on in this country and removing that is deeply destructive to those layers that we're built on. They're people, they're humans, they've done a lot to come here and create a life and bring their families and they've taken huge massive risks, life-threatening risks to be here. They've left their home and families to come here and make a few more dollars an hour. It must be so scary. It's just I can't imagine. But if if the conversation is, you know, kind of a crackdown on the border, or if we remove that workforce, who's going to do it? And we'll all be paying, you know, for a burger that costs thirty dollars, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, it's just it's just because of my closeness to the issue. I it's 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 really touchy, and it affects me on so many levels. I can't do what I do without that workforce. I grew up with a grandfather who was in the military and he was very patriotic and he taught me to be that way as well. And I believe so much in like core American values and I'm a law-abiding person and I, I see both sides of, of the argument, but because of my closeness to this and it affects me directly personally and my career there has to be a human side to it. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to see all these levels and how it affects what I do and to see them as people and humans and family, my family, so. If you received a no-match letter, there are some resources for how to handle it. So in the show notes, there are a bunch of resources about your rights if ICE comes to your door, whether you're an owner or an employee, and how to react to those no-match letters. Check them out. You might be able to help one of your coworkers out sometime. A huge thank you to Chef Teresa for being willing to share her and Dave's story. If you haven't already done it, subscribe in your podcast app. Then you can keep up with all of our new episode releases throughout the season. Oh yeah, and leave us a review while you're there. Any thoughts or stories or feelings you had, 
while listening to this episode, just record a voice memo on your phone and send them to hello at copperandheat.com. Overhead, the second season of Copper and Heat is produced by me, Katie Osuna, and Ricardo Osuna. Our editor is Rachel Palmer. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and find us at Copper and Heat, or check out our website, copperandheat.com. All the music you hear is produced by us under the name Gamma Gardens. Check out other tracks on Instagram and SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening.